Welcome to this episode of the 9420 Podcast, where we talk about the music that we love and the industry that we tolerate. Mama said when I was one day old, the whole world changed for him, and he never drove that slow. I left on Cabot Drive, the house on the right. He took me in his arms, and I was home. He gave me the best years of my life. I must have took a few from him, cause I was not an easy child. I made mistakes, made them again, but it never changed a thing for him. Cause he knows who I am when I'm not sure. If I'm anything in the world, I'm daddy's girl I can't stand cigarettes and I hate the cold But I'm freezing on the front porch Cause that's where daddy smokes That's where he was waiting up When my curfew come and gone A little angry, mainly happy I was home he gave me the best years of my life I must have took a few from him Cause I was not an easy child I made mistakes, made them again But it never changed a thing for him Cause he knows who I am when I'm not sure If I'm anything in the world, I'm daddy's And welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast. That was Daddy's Girl by the Young Fables. Before we dive into our topics today, we actually have Laurel and Wes of the Young Fables with us today. Welcome, Laurel and Wes. How are you all doing? Hi, we're doing good. Thank you so much for having us. Hello. Hi. <laughs> we are so excited to have found you and to be playing your music on our episode tonight and also to speak to you live. We know that you guys just got back from Montana on tour and you guys have a lot going on. How is the tour going and playing shows over the summer going for you all? It's going well. We just, yeah, like you said, we got back from Montana. It was our first time we'd ever been in Montana and it was beautiful. Yeah, we, we definitely, it, it was hard to come back, but <laughs> it was hard to leave, I should say. Oh, I understand that, especially Montana during the summer. You can't beat that from the Nashville heat. 
Yeah. yeah, that's so true. I came back last night and we we played in Nashville last night and um I was like, oh my gosh, I'm sweating. And then someone said, yeah, you're not in Montana anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so what other plans do you guys have for the summer um, now that it's kind of, at least from what we're seeing, things are opening back up again, tours are starting out, shows are happening. Now that you're back from Montana, what else do you guys have going on? Yeah, we're just... We're touring a lot. We're kind of things are getting back to normal, like you were saying. So we traveling a lot, and our new album is slowly coming out. We're kind of releasing it in singles, and so yeah, just just lots of cool stuff in in our documentary and all that good stuff. So yeah, we're, we're really excited. So with all of the projects that you guys have going on, what are you guys most excited about for the rest of the year? I'm excited about just the documentary being out because we've been working on it for so long, and now that it's finally finished and Hopefully we can get out and show it to people. That's that's probably the most exciting for me. Yeah, me too. It's It hasn't really been a secret. Like people know that we've been working on it. We've literally been working on it since 2017. And so just to have all this footage and finally like a film that really no one has seen yet, it's, it's really exciting that kind of that moment is finally here. Awesome. And for everyone listening, for those that don't know, they have a phenomenal documentary called The Fable of a Song that Carl and I and Greg got to watch. And it's very moving. It's very touching. And we hope that you all are able to watch it in the coming months as it comes out. But what do you guys feel now that the project is finally coming to light and people are finally able to watch it? What impact do you would you love to have see happen from people being able to watch it? Oh, wow. That's a tough question. The, the documentary is, it's about kind of my journey with losing my sister, my only sibling, and then and then my father after that. And just kind of like songwriting. And it kind of touches almost every emotion I feel like that you could have. And maybe that's just me because it's, it's my life. But I feel like it really does take you through a journey. And I just want to make people feel less alone because I feel like Sometimes whenever I'm like grieving and I still do grieve and when I have really bad like anxiety or like, um, you know, I struggle with depression, all that stuff. That's no fun. But I don't know. I just I just want people to, to feel like they're not alone in that. And I just want them to be touched by my story in, in some way. Having watched it, you do a really good job of and, and I hope this does not offend you, but normalizing grief and working through it in different creative outlets and how there are good days and there are bad days and the toll it can take on you. So for me watching it, it was one of those things where I was like, I want to say thank you at the end. (laughs) Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. Patrick and everybody involved with the film made me look really strong and great. And, you know, I, I, I came through, but I will say that like, even though it's over, it's like still not over. So I still, I struggle and I, I try to be as transparent as I can when I meet people or if I'm posting on social media or whatever. But yeah, it's it's been tough, but I really, I really appreciate you saying that. Well, to take things hopefully in a little bit of a, a lighter tone, a question that Carl and I really love to hear the answer of is, what does a successful music career look like for you all? In these days, the music business is like the Wild West. There are no rules. You don't really know what's going to work or not all the time. I feel like the success is what, what you make of it. It's like as long as I can make a living playing music that I love to play and just keep doing that as long as I can, I feel like that's success in some way. Yeah, I feel like success looks so different to every single person. So that's a... Yeah, and and I feel like in order to be happy... 
if you're if you're only going to be happy by being a superstar playing arenas, that's that's a tough gig to get, you know. So <laughs> it might you might not be that happy with yourself. <laughs> well, we have enjoyed talking to you all and for everyone listening, why don't you tell them where they can find you and we'll make sure to include that in the show notes. Yeah, you can find us at theyoungfables.com and you can find our music there and our socials and you know all that good stuff. When's the movie us. coming out when, to be released so the public can see it? Mm. What's this? The movie. Patrick's here with us, our manager. Um, Nashville Film Fest. October 2nd, Nashville Film Fest, if you guys didn't hear that. So yay, so excited. Cool. Oh. Oh, that's awesome. We'll definitely make sure around then to reach out and kind of get a follow up of how the documentary has been received and also make sure that we link it in the show notes and reshare the episode so everyone can see it in October. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. No, thank you all. So surprisingly, we actually talked about the music before we even got into this episode, well, guys. Not, a, not about the music. We <laughs> well, talked we, to the people who did the, the music. We talked to the people who actually recorded the music, the Young Fables. So, Carl and Greg, how are you all doing tonight? Hello, hello, hello. 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 I think Carl's doing this I don't episode. Know about that. I don't know about that guy. I, I, I like the guy. screaming guy, and I like... Uh, yeah. By the way, I have had feedback Fire. from... At least 10 people. They love baby Carla. Oh, the hell with okay. baby Carla. I love baby Carla. <laughs> anyway, so, 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 what would you ask? How are we doing? Yeah, I asked how you're doing. That's my intro. How are y'all doing tonight? I'm miserable. How are you? Oh, you're always miserable. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm exceptionally miserable now. Well, you had to drive to Pennsylvania this week, so I understand yeah, that that's miserable. I, I don't mean, I'm not going to get into no, that. But, no. Greg, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, Carl, I, 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 I couldn't wait for this week's podcast because I have to get your intimate take on McCartney 321. Did you watch it? Yeah, I watched it. I started watching it, so I'm not fully caught up. But Carl you know and I talked me, about you know it today. What bugged a me bit. the most about it? Couldn't have Rick Rubin dressed a little better for this? <laughs> Put <laughs> some <laughs> shoes on, maybe. Put some shoes on, right? Come on, you're talking to a legendary guy, yeah. about a leg- and you're sitting there with no shoes and shorts and a baggy. T- you look like, come on, man, a homeless guy. But what I did dig personally was I never really focused in on the bass as much as he did. I never realized how intense McCartney's bass was in those. It was tracks. the major, major. Your takeaway for me was how, how good how good he is. Yeah. And how how busy he was. And like yeah. and how yeah. like it was so like not root and fifth boom boom. It was like all this all this moving around and like it was bizarre. And how, that like, was kind of a strategically placed comment that uh, you know he, he took that quote from uh Lennon about how good a bass player he was. Right. And I he thought really that was, was. Kind of, I I you know I've always been a Rick Rubin fan, but I, I can't say that I didn't find some of his questions were kind of patronizing you know so it's like it's like he just wanted to reframe everything that he was being asked about and like you know if McCartney said nah I didn't really dig it it's like well the reason you didn't dig it is because you don't know how great you are kind of stuff it was just well, well, you, well, bizarre. You know, I guess it's gotta be I don't know how I'd be you know I'm as yeah. cynical as anybody yeah. you know and I'm like you know Mr. Honesty but when you're especially if you're in the music industry you know you, you know Rick Ruben, he's he's a you know he's got his own whatever celebrity, but 
when you're there with Paul McCartney, who like arguably is like one of the elders, you know, of, yeah. of all of this, you know, there's, yeah. you know, and you got to give it to him, whatever you think of him now. How do you just say, you know, that kind of sucks, Paul? You, you can't, you know, you, you, you got to be a little like, I don't know. I loved, hear, I loved hearing the tracks. I loved hearing like, you know, them kind of going deep and getting geeky over the recordings and the sounds. And I, I was struck with how spontaneous uh, the Beatles must have been, you know, and they kind of used Martin as a as kind of an elder statesman. Well, what what it showed taste, me, I, I'm know? sorry, I think yeah. it shows to me that they were a band. They were yeah. a band of guys yeah. who did what they did in the age of discovery, and they had a guy like a mentor like George Martin who was very classically trained and knew what was going on to help guide them into instrumentation. And like, you know, so when he comes in when yesterday, he just, he doesn't have to hire anybody. George Martin just writes a quartet <laughs> score. He and, called and, up some buddies. Right. Yeah. Called up some buddy from the LSO and just say, Hey, yeah. So like, you know, and on the rigby, you know, he just plays it out of Fender Rose. Dun, 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 that that he, soprano trumpet thing was mind blowing, wasn't it? Yeah, well that, well, that was the same thing where McCartney yeah. was just, you know, at like, yeah. you know, watching, you know, the the LSO with Brandenburg Cacheros, and then yeah. he goes, can we get that? Right. And he goes, sure, and he calls the guy. That's you know, that was the- fun. Let me say, all right, let me say something controversial, and you, you're you're the Beatle expert, I'm not, but let no, me say something controversial group, and, and get your uh, and get your take. The point in the show, I don't know which which episode it was, but there was a point in the show where we transition. And we're not told we're transitioning, but we transition from Beatles songs to McCartney songs. And I started to feel like, oh my God, Paul McCartney is the Beatles sound. Because I just thought the McCartney stuff was so compelling. What do you think of that? Maybe what, I'm amazed it is a Beatles song. Yeah, what you know, like this the band because on the was, run it, stuff. The band on the run stuff's mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah, but that was, but okay, so, but then again, you're talking to a guy who's like, but the same thing you can say for Lennon, Lennon stuff too. What I think, you know, the Beatles were in the age of discovery, you know, and, and they grew. And I think what happened is, I think McCartney was the better student. And I think when he was there going to the Beatles, there's a couple of good books. There's All You Need Is Ears by George Martin. And there's another really cool book called Here, There, and Everywhere by by Jeff Emmerich. And Jeff Emmerich, for those who don't know, is the engineer who engineered all the Beatles albums. So like, even though George, because George Martin wasn't an engineer per se, he was just a producer. So all that stuff that, you know, George Martin and the Beatles wanted to do, Jeff Emmerich actually was the guy who got to do it. He actually got the sounds. He actually mic'd the stuff. He actually did all that stuff. So he wrote a book. In his book, it's kind of weird. He didn't have as much reverence for like Lennon or Harrison. He had a lot of reverence for McCartney. He says McCartney was a workhorse. He says McCartney used to come in like, Sometimes, you know, for everybody and, and do like four, 10, 20 takes of like, supposedly when he tried, when he's saying, oh, darling, he used to come in like an hour or two before each session and like keep, tra- keep tracking, oh, darling, oh, darling, until he got it perfect. He was a nut. Where Lennon would just come in and like, yeah, you know, say, just going to do what he wants. Right, uh, right. The news today. Okay, good. Let's go and get high. So he had a, more of a, like a, <laughs> the way about him, you know, but the, yeah. and, and you can tell by, if you listen to the Beatles, first solo records. McCartney's first record is Another Day. Dun, dun, dun. It was all this beautiful, right. and maybe I'm amazed, all these great, yep. really great songs and catchy. Yeah, that, that's what I was experiencing, was it, it's like, my God, that's the Beatles. But he learned Lennon's stuff was like cold turkey and like mother and like yeah. all this, you know, working yeah. this hero. So, but I think what was great, like even McCartney even, you know, alluded to it, 
is that together they had, see, McCartney had that sing-songy, woo-woo, but Lennon gave him that edge. You know, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. You know, and then Harrison had another cool, was the spiritual vibe. And yeah, they were actually a band. They really, yeah. really were. Even I Ringo thought it was very Lennon. enjoyable. I, I really enjoyed it. Come on, they wrote the rule book to how to be a rock star. You start off looking clean cut, grow your hair long. Then at the end, you go play on the roof. You know, that's what you <laughs> two re- did. And you reflect the times. Yeah, you, know, you reflect that was, the times. Yeah, you too exactly. did. To yeah. me, you too did the exact Beatle handbook, you know? Yep, yep. Played on the roof. Yep. Well, I've got a question to ask you, but I think we should probably play a little more music before we get into it. You okay. want to play another song? Which we're going to play now. Built for Breaking. breaking. Yep. All right, let's hear This is uh, The Young Fables, Built for Breaking. I've been thinking, overthinking. Is something missing? Is this worth fixing? Did we make a clean break? Cool track. Yeah, 
yeah, I do anything. It's they very all, different. Yeah. Very cool. So we kind of had this conversation earlier, but because we also brought the Beatles, the McCartney documentary up, I figured it's actually a good topic. Promoting yourself and having a career? <laughs> well, yeah. Obviously, the Beatles and McCartney, they happened in the past tense. But it's kind of like you said with you too, it's the Beatles model. You can rinse and repeat it. And what you learn through the documentary is they basically stopped being a cover band and started being a real band when they started dressing the part and playing their music and really kind of making more an exclusive type of, of an experience as opposed to just playing out to try and grow your audience. Well, that's so. that's, that's that's what he alluded to. And, and, and it made me feel like, wow, this is exactly what's happening today. So it's, even though it's been 60 years later, it's still the same fundamental things. Like the Beatles, the Beatles, when they were playing, they were just, they were doing like dressing like slobs, smoking on stage, doing whatever they want playing covers all night just being like rowdy and not care and when brian epstein their manager got a hold of him said listen guys we got to stop all this now you want to you want to have a career you got to take it serious and he says we got to we got to clean up the act you got to look good on stage you're going to put you in some suits do some stuff which is of the time you got to bow you got to stand up and look like a professional act and you can't play all the time everywhere. You got to like make it special when you're out there playing. So we're going to limit when you play out and make each time a special performance, make it about your career. And that I think applies now. It's like what I say now, but a lot of these acts, I feel, you know, who am I? I know they got to make a living and stuff, but they're just playing, you know, Broadway five nights a week. They're everywhere all the time. And there's nothing special to go see them. Who cares? So no one's going to take them special. Oh, you can see them anywhere. You're going to go see what's the name tonight? Nah, I can see you tomorrow. It's a big deal. You know, and that's what happens. You know, where we know this other act that you know, I won't again say who they are, but they did not do that. They just basically stayed away, kept playing their originals, kept going to the studio, kept formulating their fan base based on their original music and they got a record deal they're going on a major tour now and they're like so it still works 60 years later the same thing that brian epstein told john and paul is what we got to tell these people on broadway now stop it get out of those clubs i know you got to make a living you know you're better off driving an uber or being a bartender leave your music pure and just be an artist i'm sorry well, and yeah. you're better off you're better off trying to find a tour to get attached to that'll take you outside of Nashville and, you know, be able to explore the country, grow your fan base and also not make it be so non-exclusive. Like basically you're putting your music out there for free. Everyone's going to, you know, at some point have seen you. But if you make it exclusive and you make it to the point where people have to pay to see you, they're going to want to do that as long as you have the talent and the artistry to do it. Well, it's hard. Like I, again, I'll, t I'll take it to me personally. Back when I was, you know, in high school, you know, it was really big in Long Island to do these these cover tribute bands, and we were doing like the Zeppelin show. We were doing a, a Bowie show, you know, Island Control. You know, I could do all that stupid stuff, and we had the PA, and we bought the PA, and then the guys in the band wanted to buy a big um, international step van. That's when I said, you know what, guys, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> go, Why? And I said, because I don't want to be, because there's other bands that, you know, of, of that era who are older. I don't want to be playing like the Bowie show when I'm 40. You don't want to be the Billy Joel cover band at Mulcahy's right. on a Saturday night. Right. <laughs> I, I said, I wanted to write. So I just wanted to write stuff, do original stuff. And I found the clubs. I went into the city and then I just wanted to do that. And that's how I got my first record deal, because I said, this is what I want to do. I want to be taken seriously as an artist, not be just like some guitar player who can sing a little bit and wear a 
baseball cap. That's just my two cents. And whether you heat it or not, and probably kids, you don't know what you're talking about. It's a different time now. I'm telling you, it's not. It's the same exact well, thing. You get you get told, you know, and, and, and people don't always want to recognize the idea that if you go out and if the first time you're at the venue, you do 50 people, and then six months later, you're at the venue and you do 100 people, and then three months later, you're doing 250 people. I mean, you get told by the marketplace as to whether or not Bigger audiences are going to find you compelling. The Beatles understood the power of the size of the market here, well, oh, yeah, here in the oh, you're U.S. Right. All this yeah. is, is initially based on the fact that you got something to give, that you got right. something going on. Right. But then of given course. that, so if you got that. And, but and if you're playing covers, you're, you you have to accept the fact that, you know, your your audience is going to basically be relegated to the people that are going to the particular club on a Saturday night. They're not, you're not <laughs> going to grow your audience incrementally yeah, but, by playing covers. It's I just think, not going to you know, happen. For, I guess for a little while, you got you to you build your craft. But after a while, if you're doing like the 1130 to one show at Jason Aldean's, and then you're doing the, the four, the six, you know, round at, you know, whiskey, whatever, whiskey jam. Mm-hmm. And then on Thursday you're doing, you know, uh, that other place bus call, and 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 you're just playing every other night, and, and you're you're in town every day, five days a week. Mm-hmm. They can find you somewhere. After a while, like who cares? No I think you'd how- be better off busking. Have you seen some of the videos? Yeah, people, right. people busking and having 500 people standing around. <laughs> well, yeah, make you know, make your career like you know, make your career. But so you know, I you know, and, and okay, so you do like an Eagles song, you do a, a whatever song, another song, and then you throw in one of your originals. I don't know. To me, I think it's a waste of time. I know people think I'm wrong. What do I know? But I'm telling you, it worked for me. I think the- people are going to play anywhere and everywhere they can for the next six months to a year because it's just all so new again. Well, wouldn't, that, it, wouldn't well, it be better to just play one place once a week that's the – regardless if it's the same venue and just have that be the place to direct people and a then – A residency. A yeah, residency. I, I like that. That's a different kind of vibe. You have a residency. Yeah, and then, and then the, the rest of the week you, you get out of town. You go within a 200-mile radius and you go right. explore and you get you – you Or you just write. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 record and 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 work and and work on that stuff. You know, I don't know. I think I think people have the wrong mentality when it comes to this. I see it. A lot of people I know who I think are really talented too. Not going to name names. Not going <laughs> to not going to name names. Okay. But some of these people. Well, but the thing is, we've seen it happen both ways, though. We've watched artists do the way of the hamster wheel in Nashville, playing out every single night, doing this, doing that. and Burn out and go nowhere. Burn out and go nowhere. And then we've seen the artists that have honed their craft, that have done the residencies, that have done, you know, not necessarily playing out, and then they get the record deal or the pub deal or the thing that actually they were working towards. And now they're going on tour or they're going on late night TV shows or things along those lines that exactly. actually are moving their career forward. So, so, I, think so we, I, I think we know a little bit of what we're talking about. I know, I know a lot of what we're talking about. I, cause, cause like, again, like, like my, like the rule I said last time, like, I don't know a damn thing about what I do. Well, what I realized, you know, that even though like I, it's a total contradiction, but even though we say that the music industry is totally different, it is, you know, in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways, fundamental ways, it's exactly the same. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Don't you? And, and if you know how to work it, you can actually move the needle forward. 
come on, we got Jeff Bezos, you know, with going cowboy hats going to space. You know, in a, in a phallus. God, yeah, right. What is that rocket? Yeah, like, that is uh, bizarre. It looks like uh, what um, that's those scenes out of um, Spaceballs. Um, <laughs> uh, was Mel Brooks, I, I was right? thinking of uh, I was thinking of um, Austin Powers. Right. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, Austin Powers. Yeah. International Man of Mystery. You know. Or or there was a there was a uh, phallus like spaceship in something called Flesh Gordon. Well, I think we do have one more thing to talk about quickly before we end this episode. No more talk. But what's, <laughs> I think the most comical is Greg and myself will be speaking at Podcast Movement on a panel. So for everyone who may be at the Podcast Movement Conference in Nashville in early August, you can actually come meet me and Greg and <laughs> learn all about music and podcasts. Nicole and I will be there live and in person. Speaking to you from the uh, main stage, correct? Yeah, uh, there you go. Yep. There you oh, go. yeah. Uh, all right, everyone. Thanks so much. For- I'm trying to get us out of it. Can you stop playing? <laughs> We're going to end with a song, right? We are going to end with a song. So make sure that you listen through all the way to the oh, end. Vaccinate My Baby by the uh, <laughs> by Ted Nugent. <laughs> the, uh... And the Amboy Dukes. Uh, the no. Amboy Dukes. Right? It's, uh, it's Over You, the Young Fables' latest single that comes out on July 23rd. So make sure you listen through to the end so that you have a first chance to listen to it. Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode of the 9420 podcast. For everything that we spoke about, you can go to our website, which is 9420.com. It's the let numbers 94 and the letters T-W-E-N-T-Y. Until next time, we'll talk to y'all later. How can me and my head mean my heart be so, so many, many miles apart, miles apart over you? Yeah, I know I said I never want to see you again. Yeah, I know what I said, but here I am, here I Why do you say goodbye?